Hi, this is Edie Weinstein, the founder of Hug Mobsters Armed with Love. I'm also known as the Mother Hugger, and I'm here with you on The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Wendy Sheridan, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. And hi, I'm Robin Renee. Welcome to episode 138. In today's show, Robin has a conversation with Edie Weinstein about overcoming the taboo of touch, as well as having recently just crossed a major item off her bucket list. We first had Edie on the show back in 2019 on episode 36. She is a creative journalist, licensed social worker, psychotherapist, and the author of The Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary. But before that, we talk gardens and spring gardening in our latest Earthscape segment. Nice. And we always like to let you know that you can catch a new episode of The Leftscape every other Wednesday. And please do subscribe on our website, leftscape.com. And you can also find us anywhere you get your podcasts. And while you're on our site, please remember to sign up for the newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. And we are on social media at Leftscape. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram so far. We love to hear from you, and your reviews really help us out. Yes, and please do consider joining our Patreon. Uh, join us at any level, starting at $1 a month. While our <laughs> Patreon supporters have access to our exclusive segment, we should be recording this. And if you're able, you can increase your contribution and receive other gifts and opportunities. So please do check it out at patreon.com slash Our most recent We Should Be Recording This segment is called When the Good Guys, in quotes, Go Bad. And it it was recorded the day after the Nashville, Tennessee shooting. So that was bad. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we needed a good to, conversation. We needed to process that and, and that's kind of what we were doing. And then it goes yes. like it usually does off the rails into the into the weeds. So <laughs> Yes. We our conversations go um, well you hear us just right. in the news segment, we talk about a lot of things, but <laughs> that's what happens with uh we should be recording this for sure. <laughs> so we have a couple of oh, yeah. uh, couple of things. I just wanted to have a, a silly rewind. When I was listening back to our show for last show, I noticed that Wendy said three random facts in the news, and that is oh, kind of what we call our. that's kind of what we call our segment. We used to call it, but now we have reduced our facts by one third. So we have two facts and the news, and I just thought it was funny. So it's like reminder to self. And and Wendy, <laughs> that is now two random facts. Sorry, the news. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, that's all right. But most especially, I wanted to say we we spoke to Doc Coyle. He's a musician and and a good friend of mine. We spoke to him back in episode twenty one, and I got on Facebook the other day and saw him proposing to his now fiance Jasmine Aww. Conte l- live on stage at the Whiskey A Go Go in West Hollywood and at their ultimate jam night. And um, oh, that is awesome! <laughs> it, it was 
It was really, really awesome. And I was, I'm going to cry now just even talking Aww. about it. So congratulations, <laughs> Mark and Jazz. I think that they're wonderful together. So that was oh, really yes. cool to see. Oh, yes. <laughs> and now here are our two random facts <laughs> and the news. And the first random fact is mine. And it's an animal fact. It's pigeons can't fart. This is very important to know. <laughs> oh, their intestinal tract is apparently too short for gas to be produced before the food is expelled. So this is one of those, the more you know. <laughs> this actually reminds me of, first of all, that's a great Wendy fact. <laughs> I think is that also true of seagulls? Because I heard that people used to like, this is terrible. This is a trigger warning. People used Uh-oh. to feed seagulls like Alka-Seltzer and then they'd like <gasps> blow up. Oh my God. Because they thought it was funny and that's awful. So don't do that. No, no. one who's listening to us would do that. But I'm just saying that's, wow. So that's yeah, so pigeons. Just... Note to self, I will not don't do that. feed pigeons something that makes them have gas <laughs> and <laughs> anyway that's, that's mean <laughs> that is terrible okay that's a terrible let's i wish i erased that thought but here's a good fact <laughs> okay the theme from shaft won best original song at the 44th academy awards presented on april 10th 1972 oh cool yeah i think that is a cool cool tune so yes it is and now it is time for all of the news we can handle Well, it's kind of hard to avoid the Trump news of the last couple of weeks. And the big thing is that the indictment, the first indictment finally happened. He had last show, we talked about it possibly happening that following Tuesday, that coming Tuesday, or I guess the Tuesday after the show or whatever. And it didn't happen then, but it happened about a week later. And so that was, it was expected, but it was also kind of a surprise because the New York grand jury was going on a a break or something. So they were thinking, oh, mm. well, they're not going to return any decisions before that. But they did. So that is very interesting. And he now allegedly we have another Tuesday possibility that <laughs> the arraignment is supposed to happen yesterday. <laughs> if you're listening, that's on Wednesday. It may happen Tuesday, but who knows what, you know, we really don't know. And especially because he has protection under yeah. you know well, uh, he's in- secret service protection it might not happen when they say it's going to happen and there might be protests there might not be any protest who knows it's there, gonna be very and there's also yeah and i also read a thing briefly yesterday i think in the post that governor desantis is not going to honor any extradition requests from the state of new york and he said a bunch of really shitty things that I don't remember exactly and I don't care to repeat them anyway. So, right. Yeah. So we're going to see, this is one of those developing things, but you know, this is, this is like all over the place. So, you know, this, the news that I picked up over the last two weeks has is more obscure and a lot of it isn't awful for like the first time in a while. And maybe that's because I haven't really been looking. I mean, there were some awful things I saw this morning that we don't have time for, and I'm glad. Yeah, we don't need more awful. (laughs) No, we really don't. I I just want to say there's only one little other tidbit of possible Trump news. And again, it's it's just a lot of, until I see like multiple sources of things, who knows, but there is some evidence that 
is seems to be coming out that in the Florida case, he he was believed to have been actually going through the boxes of classified documents himself and Mm -hmm. directing people to hide some and keep some and things like that. So, you know, after after the the, the, they were subpoenaed. So so that's interesting. So who knows? Yeah. Again, but we'll keep hearing more things and yes what will come out next (laughs) (laughs) nothing good i'm sure but anyway mozilla which is the company that created firefox back in the web.1 era you know this is uh i guess the 90s (laughs) is creating a new company to produce a startup and a community and it's building to build trustworthy independent and open source ai ecosystem so, you know, we've been hearing after after our show about Midjourney, you know, the the next thing to come down the pike was ChatGPT, which is a text AI that I've been reading some interesting things. I I try not to to read, you know, a lot of people are doing, "Oh, it's done a, a biography. I asked just asked ChatGPT to write my biography and and then they would would come out with some stuff which may or may not be really accurate." There was a a teacher Somewhere in the United States, I think a middle school teacher who had, who made three control, three groups, one, and they were all supposed to write essays. And the first control, the first group was a control group, and they had to write it all themselves without any help from any AI stuff. The second group had the, had them, had him, they had the, the students write essays completely using ChatGPT and not any they don't alter the text once it's done. And then the third group was able to use the chat GPT as like a, a, a prompter. And, mm-hmm. and, they, and, and the results were that the essays were, all of this, everyone could tell when it was just chat GPT. They could tell that it wasn't written by a person. And the best results they found was when that they used the chat GPT to, and I think, I think the second group that had the chat GPT do all of it is like they took the original essay and basically chat GPT rewrote it. And the students didn't like the changes that the AI made to their, to their stuff. And the third group got the best results when they used ChatGPT sort of in an editorial mode where they they only kept the pieces that the AI wrote that they liked better than what they had written. So, mm-hmm. which I found really interesting, honestly. It is interesting. I've seen some examples of it. I was talking to a friend who's really into it and got to witness it a little bit. And, and I want to start working with it just to see what it can do. It's it's pretty it's pretty fascinating and I think it has very positive uses, you know, but finding finding what it can yeah. do and what its limitations are and where, and making sure that you're staying part of the creative process really I think is is key to it all. Oh, it's yeah. interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like it's like a regular, you know, if you can use it as as like a low-cost editor, I mean, you know, editors are going to be very sad, but you know, there is there is something about a human being being able to edit somebody else's writing and not have it be horrible. But even when you are acting in an editorial 
capacity or you have somebody else edit your stuff, you don't have to keep those changes. I mean, not all the time. Sometimes you're sort of forced to <laughs> in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. But the other concerning thing I had about ChatGPT is, you know, if you don't do your own fact checking, ChatGPT will make statements that are just not true, that just right. sound Absolutely. good. Yeah, you definitely so, have to. They sound, they sound right. Truthiness. They're truthy. Truthiness, yes. But, <laughs> right. But the, I think there's a creative, this is a whole show into itself, really, but I think there's a creative <laughs> aspect of it where it can, it can prompt your imagination as much as the other way around, you know? So there are right. ways to sort of use it to get ideas and not necessarily just take it at face value. But, but anyway, it's a new, interesting, new, brave new world. Yeah. Yes, yes, and and I'm hoping Mozilla can keep their their uh, adjectives trustworthy, independent, and open source. You know, because I remember Google originally said, "Do no harm," or or "Don't, don't be the be bad evil. guy," and that "Don't be evil." Thank you, thank you. Um, and and that kind of fell by the wayside, apparently. <laughs> so, mm. you know, and then. In Tokyo, apparently last year, Tokyo citizens have returned 3.99 billion yen, which is $30 million in U.S. currency, of lost cash to the police who returned almost all of it to those who lost it with 480 million yen has gone to finders. So I'm guessing that the finders get a little bit of a thank you fee for finding this lost money and it's hard for me to to imagine that people have just you know put down the equivalent of 30 million dollars like on a counter somewhere and walked away from it and then it, it like disappeared and then they get some money back but i i am impressed at the honesty of the japanese people because i don't think that would happen in america <laughs> No, I, it's hard to imagine, too, because I think that I would think cynically and probably correctly <laughs> that if I returned cash to someone, then the next person would just take it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've tried. Like, if I see somebody drop money, I would be like, hey, you just dropped this. You know what I mean? If there's a way to easily realize who, who it is or whatever, or, or, you know, but you could turn yeah. it in. But it's, I would wonder, I, I yeah. have wondered when I've turned something in, is it just going to disappear by well, someone else? You know, I actually have, I actually have two anecdotes from my personal life. There was the one time my spouse left their, their clipboard when he was, when he was working for, I guess it was a satellite company and he was doing installations and the people would pay him either cash or check at the installation, Mm. which he would have to turn into the, to his company. Um, And he had a clipboard with all of that money and all of the, the work orders and everything. He left it on top of his vehicle and drove away and it fell and he lost and he thought it was gone forever. And he was going to be, he was going to have to reimburse the company hundreds of dollars, which we did not have. And the person who found the clipboard, contacted him and gave it to him with everything intact because I guess he realized and you know so there's that and then there was the time I left my purse on a New Jersey transit train oh yikes 
Oh, I was freaking the fuck out. And I, you know, just and, and immediately after I had finished calling all of the credit card companies to cancel all my cards, I get a call from New Jersey Transit that they found my purse and I got it back. It had all of the cards and everything in it, but not one cent of cash. So there you go. Who knows if <laughs> who knows who emptied the, the cash out of my wallet? I have no idea. Could have been the, the transit cop. Who knows? But at least I got my purse back. So I that was okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, we digress. Anyway, yes. Um, <laughs> what is the, the next, next news? The item? next piece of news is actually I find a very good news. This is the University of British Columbia are developing water treatments that eliminate. PFAS. It's PFAs. It's it's an acronym for a very long chain polymer that we are using. We have been using for nonstick cookware. And I know John Oliver did a big thing about it a few months ago. And it's in our drinking water and it's everywhere. And now there's a, you know, this university in Canada is coming up with a water treatment uh, process to get rid, get, get it out of our drinking water. And that is amazing and i'm very happy about that so so that's that piece <laughs> that and we'll have a, is we have a, a link. very good thing yeah we'll have a link to all of these stories on our web page if you want to go delve deeper into them yes <laughs> okay so next up woolly mammoth meatball or <laughs> okay um, <laughs> Which is very interesting. And I don't know if you've seen this one yet. I have not. So, okay. So there is an Australian food startup that actually took the DNA from a mammoth and what they weren't able to find, you know, what, what was not v- available, they, they actually pieced together with a, an elephant DNA. Okay. Okay. And generated a giant meatball. So that's it's uh, kind of terrifying. It's kind of terrifying. (laughs) No one tasted it. No one tasted it because they said, you know, regenerating an extinct animal and like eating it. Like we don't know what our our immune system would do with that, honestly. (laughs) So so they weren't afraid. They were afraid to do that, to try it. But it's really basically... To be a basically publicity stunt, but it's a it's you know an experiment to call attention to to being able to generate food more humanely more, in a more earth friendly way and okay. humanely ultimately. Well, so yeah, that's except, really the goal of this company. Yeah, except that except. that well, the fact that we eat a lot of these animals once we stop eating them, we can't maintain their population to the numbers that they're at. So I don't know how that's all going to work out. But I don't yeah, know. I guess it would be, I don't know. I know they're coming, they're trying, they've been trying to come up with meat substitutes that don't involve killing animals. And, and I know you're not a dead animal eater. I am not a dead animal eater. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's my weird way of saying vegetarian. <laughs> right. Well, I think the term oh today is is plant based diet. Okay. Well, I based thought that's sort of... more vegan than than yeah, vegetarian. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Anyway. Yeah. It's. 
so that's it. That's their proof of concept, and they're not they're not trying to feed this to like a monkey to see what's going to happen. No. In fact, this meatball is supposed to go to a museum of science and medicine in the Netherlands. So, okay. I guess it will just be on display <laughs> in a jar. Okay. <laughs> or, or something. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's, that's a, I don't know. It's just interesting. And it's, it's cool. I mean, as a, as it a person cool. who loves science, I'm, it's cool that they can do it. It's weird that they did it. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Okay. And here's, I think, really my one political thing of the day. There is a Nebraska senator. Michaela Kavanaugh started filibustering every single bill in the Nebraska legislature. They only have one. They're a unicameral house, which means they only have one chamber. They don't have a house and a Senate. They just have a Senate and that's it. And so she's been filibustering every single bill until an anti-trans bill has been dropped. And this started right at the beginning of March. And I checked back and the latest news piece I could find was from last Thursday and she's still filibustering and she's getting a lot of support from the other Democrats in the in the in the Nebraska chamber. And also other people have been offering, you know, to help by bringing food in and child care and all these other things so they can keep doing this. And then uh, last Thursday, the legislature has adopted a rules change to try to end her strategy to block the bill. I'm hoping, you know, because they have, they can't get anything done while she's doing this, while she and her, her other, other, rep, other senators are, are filibustering this one bill. And they, and the Republicans haven't dropped the bill, but they're trying to make a rules change to put like a limit on how long it's, it gets very technical in the articles about what this rules change is. And I don't really understand all of it, but she's still as of the last I checked, she's still trying to get this done. And I know they want it. There's certain business that the, the legislature has to do before it session ends, which I think is in another month or so. And if it they don't get that done, they have to go into over it's, it's legislative overtime. I, there's another word for it, but then it's costing them a lot of money per day. So they want to get like the minimum stuff done. But I'm hoping that maybe they'll just drop the bill. You know, it's another one of those bills that that will prohibit any gender-affirming health care for, for trans people. So yeah. so thank you, Michaela Kavanaugh, and, and keep fighting as long as you can. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's, that's some good, dedicated hard work, for yes. sure. I'm sure. Oh, so speaking of, I, I, I forgot to put down that the... Tennessee anti-drag law did not go into effect on April 1st because it was blocked by a federal judge, at least for oh, now. Oh, thank God. So. Good. That is encouraging news. Yes. Because that's ridiculous. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. I, I didn't know that. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So. We are still fighting for sure. Uh, um, and the yeah. last bit of news is is silly and, and 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 wonderful, and it's like combines good news, animals, and silly names. So we kind of like that around here. Endangered tortoises. 
Yes. <laughs> Endangered tortoises, Mr. and Mrs. Pickles, welcome three little ones at the Houston Zoo. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so this is in Houston, Texas. The oldest animal at the Houston Zoo is also its newest father. At 90 years old, an endangered radiated tourist named Miss Tor- Tourist. Tortoise <laughs> named Mr. Pickles and his mate, Mrs. Pickles, welcome three new little ones, Dill, Gherkin, and Jalapeno. So, <laughs> um, that's just so silly and wonderful. And the <laughs> eggs were a surprise to the staff. They were not expecting that. And they're keeping the the young, the baby turtles kind of out of public eye until they're, you know, they're sure they're healthy and are able to sort of yeah. join the vis- visible space or whatever. So I just thought that was cute. <laughs> it's very cute. And I'm glad that endangered tortoises are breeding. And, and we have to have pictures up on our site because they're adorable. The babies. Yes. <laughs> Not that the the Will elderly turd- tortoises aren't also adorable, but they're a different different cl- category of adorable. <laughs> right. Anyway, that's all the news we're handling so, today. Is that all the news we can handle? Yes. Yes, <laughs> it is. Every Saturday from 1pm, come and join us for an hour of really, really smooth music on the Northwest Coast. Spinning only the finest selection of yacht rock, yacht rock adjacent, daytime disco, sunset soul and all manners of smooth music from right around the globe. Diving deep into the dusty dollar bins of discogs and record stores all around Melbourne to bring you the hidden gems and the classics. It's smooth tunes for rough times. It's an explosion of sunshine through your speakers. It's liner notes and guitar solos. So get down to the northwest coast where only the smoothest will do. Saturdays from 1pm only on Radio PVS. Welcome to Earthscape, which is our segment dealing with the element of Earth from our spiritual perspective, but also when the show airs, we're recording this in February. <laughs> so I will be assuming that the the weather is doing what it typically does and not necessarily what it did in 2022, which was we had a really late cold spring and all of my tomatoes were very sad about that but <laughs> but this year i'm i am assuming things are going to be warm because it's february and the day we're recording this at 65 degrees outside which is insanely warm for this time of year this is the winter where and and it's the day after valentine's day actually and we haven't really had any snow this year which is also unusual and i'm a little not happy about that. I like I like at least one day where there's snow on the ground and maybe I could make a snowman <laughs> or some snow sculpture, which uh, we have not, not so had much. that much snow. Yeah. No, not in a couple of years, but we had two weeks of very cold weather in, I want to say, December, where it was yes. like that was the Arctic 
Getting ready the polar for vortex and other holidays. It yeah. was very yeah. brutal for very. We had single digits, and and I know other parts of the country were in dire straits, and I know other parts of the country have had huge amounts of snow. We have got nothing, and I drive by this. You know, one of the one of my neighbors has this huge plow attached to his pickup truck, and I look at him and I go, "Are you the reason we haven't had snow this year?" <laughs> Murphy's law. <laughs> So does yeah, that affect you know, the things that you decide to plant? Like if we, whether we had a real cold winter beforehand or not, does that change? No, no. It it it. What it does do is is it makes is it makes the you know the things that you're that that are your your perennials that are overwintering. Sometimes if it's going to get ridiculously cold, you need to protect certain things. Like there's some trees, I mean, there's a bunch of people that have their trees, some fruit trees or some other trees wrapped up for the winter. And they do that every year because I guess it's a little too cold for them climatically. Mm-hmm. I see that with um, I, palm trees in Virginia, in Virginia Beach. Oh, uh, yeah. Palm trees, but they have yeah, to wrap yeah, yeah. them up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have no idea what the plants are that are wrapped up that I drive by on my way here and there. But I see them and, and you know, I'll I'll see what, I'll notice maybe what they are in the summer when they're unwrapped. I may regret not covering my lavender because that generally dies over the winter and it's not supposed to, but I think it gets too cold. But if it didn't get killed during the two weeks of polar vortex, it should be fine because it didn't get that cold for the rest of the winter. So when this airs, it'll be April and I will have already started my seeds and and I'd be waiting and probably this stuff will have moved into the mini greenhouse or the big greenhouse if I actually decide to buy the one I saw today at Costco. <laughs> I really, really want it. <laughs> and it's it's slightly cheaper than like the shitty ones I see advertised. So and this has a lot. This is a nice one. But we'll see. But this year I'm planting San Marzano tomatoes which I have during my tomato research. These are the canned, when you get canned tomatoes, you always want to get San Marzano tomatoes because they're apparently the best for making sauce. Mm. And I've been trying a bunch of different varieties over the years. And I finally, one of the seed companies I get stuff from, it was probably Johnny's Seeds. They finally had a San Marzano variety. And I said, oh, let me get those and I'll see how they work. And you'll have to hit me up in late summer, early fall, and I'll tell you how well they did. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have a follow-up episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm looking forward. I am looking forward to that. We started making our own tomato sauce last year, I think. I mean, we were doing, I was canning tomatoes before that, but I wasn't making sauce. And we, I don't, and, and the thing is we make this sauce and we keep not writing down the recipe. And it's a really, really good sauce. It's very spicy. Mm. I think we use a. I think we use some a significant amount of uh, red pepper flakes in it. But it's it's really good. It <laughs> it's like we look at you know commercially made available tomato sauce like ragu and and the other one that we get. And I look at it now with like I give it all side eye and I don't even want to eat it anymore because the sauce we make is so much better. Right. So. we've spoiled ourselves and now I got to like make freaking sauce all the time. (laughs) I mean, there's something very convenient about just opening a jar that you bought at the store and dumping it in a pot to heat up instead of 
but you know growing tomatoes for four months or five months and then and then processing them into tomato goo and then you have to cook it and then you have to can it so it's like a whole lot of work but and then you convince yourself it tastes so much better it's worth spending the time to do that yeah well you also it's part of what i mean do you like to just grow things or do you like the whole process of it because oh i like the whole process yeah i mean that's the thing i mean i i I mean I, i remember joking about having a ratatouille that took me nine months to make because I grew <laughs> all of the ingredients and they don't all come ripe at the same time. Right. You know, you have eggplants and tomatoes and bell peppers and, and, and what else in there? Zucchini and well, all right. I didn't grow the mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> I think the mushrooms are an add on. I like to put mushrooms in like everything. So yeah. I guess that's the next thing is for me to figure out how to grow mushrooms and grow those weird ass ones like the lion's mane and, I don't know the ones that they're that I keep seeing ads for that are good for your brain chemistry or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're 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 discovering like these weird mushrooms have a lot of effects with the body that are beneficial and and I mean my husband wouldn't eat mushrooms at all now he's eating he'll eat like the white mushrooms that every mushroom person says you know like oh don't even eat those because they're they're bullshit right, <laughs> or right. something. So I've moved into more portobellas. I and and when I can afford it and I see them in the store I'll I'll use shiitake sometimes but there's a lot of other ones that I you know that our mushroom our mycologist friends know all about that I haven't really had a lot of experience with yeah that, same uh, you know but I I kind of want to know I want to try them and I'd like to try growing some someday but let's see so I'm going to be doing tomatoes and it's still too early to put stuff out into the garden because our last day of frost is sort of May 15th, although it was moving earlier and earlier, although last year was weird. So, yeah, I've started um, to see I'm, May 1st, but I still, I mean, I'm usually late to the party anyway, so May 15th is good. Although I got peas in early last year. Yeah, well, peas like the cold do, weather. Yeah, that's what I mean. You do them. Yeah. St. Patrick's Day, people say. Right, the... right, right, right. So, yes, those will have been in my garden. They're growing already. They're flowering. I'm liking the peas. So <laughs> pretend pretend my peas are doing really well. <laughs> but, yes, I have peas. I have beans. I have zucchini. We hopefully got rid of the fungus on my nectarine tree last fall because you can only treat that after the after the leaves have fallen off the tree so you can only treat that in the fall so we treated it last year and i'm hoping that got rid of the fungus i also have noticed a lot of powdery mildew on on stuff last year so we're kind of we're going to be taking steps to deal with that getting more powdery mildew resistant strains of the plants that get powdery mildew like zucchini and that just kills it off or does it just what does it do it gets it it gets weird it it like i i was having issues like the the zucchini would fruit but before it got big enough to pick it would rot Mm -hmm. you know the leaves it's the powder that's when the leaves look like they have like gray like a gray coating on i had that problem too last year so yeah. yeah it's very it's very common i think everywhere Mm -hmm. and then there's this peach fungus that 
that a nectarine is basically a hybrid peach plum, which is why it's basically a peach without the fuzzy skin. It's a peach with a smooth skin. If you're unfamiliar with nectarines, and I don't know who would be unfamiliar with nectarines. So, so it's basically a peach tree. So anything that affects peach plant, peach trees will affect the nectarine tree. And so the peach tree or the nectarine tree got fucked up last year. I mean, it's had that fungus for a couple of years, but we didn't treat it until last year. So last year, there was a whole lot of blooms on the plant for the first time. And I started to see lots of nectarines growing, but they did not. They basically, they rotted on the tree because of the fungus. Mm. So we didn't get any fruit. I think we got like one apple last year for various reasons and no, no nectarines. And the cherry tree had flowers, but they did, had one place where it bloomed. And because it's a baby tree, it, it, it's I think it's third or fourth year. And they were saying it's going to take five years before you get any fruit off of it. So I expect to see more blooms on it this year. And I don't know if they will produce fruit or not. And if they do produce fruit, I don't know if we'll get them before the birds and squirrels get them, which is always... Always an issue. We have more blueberry plants we have to put in the ground because one of my friends moved from downtown Philadelphia in a not great neighborhood. I'm not going to say it. it was a bad neighborhood in like northeast Philly. She moved out to York, Pennsylvania. Now she has a yard with and she so she's been putting trees in and she got me to go down past your house down to Hamilton to pick up blueberries a couple of weeks ago. In January, we were going to get these giant ones that were expensive, but they didn't have any when we got there. So we got a bunch more three-year-old plants. So they're so now I think that brings my blueberry plants up to 12. And we didn't get any berries last year for various. I think the heat wave that we had over the summer, that one one or two weeks where it was like really like close to 100 degrees every day, mm-hmm. that kind of burned the plants because they were they weren't getting watered enough. Okay. So, and we also have to do something with the soil. It's you know this now that you're getting really into gardening, it it gets like you got to pay attention to soil pH. <laughs> So I have to go test my soil and maybe lower the pH right around my blueberry plants because they like it a little acidic, which is why they do so well down in South Jersey in the pine barrens. Right. Because the the pine trees, the pine needles make the soil more acidic. And I will be planting sunflowers again. and And I think I kind of given up trying to grow them for food for me. And I mostly, that's, it's mostly for the birds and the squirrels at this point. And also, I like the way they look. Yeah. Yeah, That's the main thing. So, Well, that's cool. I'm interested (laughs) in growing some of the more bitter greens, like broccoli rob. Can you grow that? Mm. I guess you could grow it here. I don't know. Yeah, you can. You can. I I have been using. So. Really? Well, I think you need to look. I'll look in my seed catalogs. It's like burpee is good for, you know, if you're starting out and they're like, cause they're like the, the most known right, right. seed company. But now that I ordered from a non, like Johnny seeds is just, they're up in um, Maine, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess they, they, 
probably sell their mailing list because now I'm getting catalogs from every weird heirloom seed company on the planet, it seems like. Wow. And I get lots and lots. So I would check the Johnny Seed Company website for Broccoli Rob. Okay. Because they may have it. I mean, they, you know, when they, because they also sell to like commercial farmers because you see like you can get a little tiny, you can get a seed packet for like your home garden or you can get, they sell seeds like in, in, I don't even know what they're, it's like they're pre laid out in like a cloth that you just lay down on the ground Oh, wow, okay. or they, you know, they sell seeds by the pound and, you know, they sell cover crops. So it's like, they're also selling to commercial farmers. So if there's something that you get in the store, you're likely to see it in their seed catalog and they will sell small amounts to regular people. Okay. So I'd check there. Yeah. It would be yeah. interesting. I think about that and I think about, dandelion greens you know mm. uh, which i love and i was like my grandmother used to just sort of pick like go around the yard and pick dandelion leaves and put them in our salads and things like that okay it's really cool yeah I and i know do that but i'd rather to cultivate them and get bigger greens out of it and not necessarily have well, to forage in the yard although that would be fun that if i could make the time to do it well, you you noticed the one the dandelions that were growing as weeds on the in between the the raised bed and the fence around the raised bed to keep the rabbits out, <laughs> and and that and those dandelions were were enormous and you were like drooling at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also noticed when I I have a I guess it called mescaline mix of salad greens that you can get which i think i got from burpee yes and when i planted those there were a lot of things coming up that that had leaves that were very similar to uh dandelions and when i let my lettuce when my lettuce bolted which means it it gets stalks and goes to flower that the flowers were very much like a dandelion hmm and it was a let and it was a lettuce. It wasn't like a, a bit, you know, like a, a bib let or green lettuce, like the iceberg. It wasn't yeah, it's like, like a the ball, leafy. Like I, the I iceberg. The lettuce. It was a leafy. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So I think those are derived from all derived from dandelions. Hmm. Just like broccoli rob and what was it? Brussels sprouts and cauliflower and kale and a couple of other things are all descended from wild mustard okay they all have the same parent plant and they and you know it's like they were picking they were breeding for like if they were breeding for the 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 leaves they'd get kale and if they were breeding for flower buds they'd get brussels sprouts or if they were breeding for the flowers they'd get broccoli interesting you know it was weird that is weird this <laughs> there's a thing at, at uh, trader joe's now called cruciferous crunch it's like my favorite salad <laughs> mix right now, and it's all of that stuff. It's like oh, cabbage cool. and Brussels sprouts and kale, just a mix of all that stuff. It's pretty yummy. Oh, neat, neat. Yeah. So, yeah, and I'm not even I'm not even talking about my flowers. <laughs> not even talking about the flowers, <laughs> which is a whole other thing. But maybe I'll have some pictures of some stuff that if the squirrels didn't eat all of my bulbs over the winter, which I'm kind of suspecting they did. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, we feed, we feed our squirrels peanuts, which my neighbors are, are kind of mad at me because now they get peanut shells all over their yards. 
and uh, as if that's a terrible thing. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, well, they. I'm not. Well, I'm it, not a suburban. I'm more farther in the country. So to me, it's like, why would someone care about that? But people do. Well, yeah, and then that, and then of course there were the the stray rogue peanut plants that were popping up here and there in my yard, <laughs> which I thought was clover for a while until they got way too big to be clover, and then I used my app to identify it, and it said peanut, and I go, wait a minute, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. So, so that happened. <laughs> oh. But yeah, I I'm you know I also do a lot of flower gardening out front. So my house looks very pretty in the summer. Looks like crap in the winter, but pretty in the summer. <laughs> well, that's one of the best things about the Garden State, that we actually get to do actual gardening. So it feels good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you guys are gardening or any of that, let us know. Yes. We can swap stories. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad to be here today with Edie Weinstein. Edie Weinstein is a colorfully creative journalist, a licensed social worker, a psychotherapist, and the author of The Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary. She's also a public speaker and the founder of Hug Mobsters Armed with Love, which offers free hugs worldwide. She just experienced a longtime dream by offering her first TED Talk, Overcoming the Taboo of Touch. Edie was first featured on the show way back on episode 36 back in 2019, which is amazing. Oh it's been you that long. <laughs> That's right. So welcome back. It's great to have you, you on the show. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be here. <laughs> so um, I have seen you write on many topics over the years, from understanding and coming to terms with racism, other social and political observations about U.S. society and approaches to spirituality, among many other things. There's just a few broad topics. So what is it about touch that makes it a primary focus for your work now? Well, human beings are hardwired for touch. Um, since our skin is our single largest organ, it's crucial that we take good care of it. And people have skin hunger needs that is just as important to meet as food hunger. Without nurturing touch, babies fail to thrive. So do adults. Um, there were studies that I read, I don't remember, maybe in high school, college, um, of babies in Romania and orphanages who failed to thrive because although they got their food needs met, you know, they gave them bottles, they changed their diapers, they probably didn't get a whole lot of cuddles. They probably didn't get a whole lot of nurturing touch. And some of them died. And in the culture in which I grew up and you grew up and probably a lot of the listeners grew up, um, touch was either sexual, abusive, coercive, limited, or not there. And because of that, people experience depression, anxiety, addictions, and suicidality. People die from lack of touch. So that's why it's important. And as a therapist, I work with a lot of people who are lonely who feel like they're all alone out there in the world. And I think about, and, and you would appreciate this David Bowie reference, you know, here I am floating in my tin can far above the world. When people don't get enough touch, they feel like that. They feel like they're, they're isolated. So I want people to feel nurtured. I want them to feel like they matter. And healthy, nurturing, platonic touch 
you know, sexual touch too, but it doesn't have to be, but platonic touch by someone that you can trust makes you feel grounded, makes you feel like you matter. Mm-hmm. That is really important. How have you been able to incorporate that in your therapy work? Have you been able therapy to do practice. that? I'm a psychotherapist. Before the pandemic, all of my sessions were in person. Now only the scattering of them are, smattering, only a few of them are. Most of it is telehealth. But when I'm in person, sometimes I'll, you know, I'd shake a client's hand or I'll, I'll, you know, put a hand on their shoulder as they were leaving. Or I've had some clients with whom I've developed a bond of trust that will ask for a hug. Or if they're crying, I'll say, would you like a hug? And most of the time they say yes. Because in that moment of vulnerability, they want to feel human. And touch is, is a really healthy way to help people feel human. And, and again, like they matter. So mm-hmm. that's, that's how I've incorporated it. Now, when I do telehealth sessions, sometimes when I talk to clients, I'll kind of go like this like a virtual holding of their hand. Uh, I'm holding her hand. This is, yeah, like holding, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, you can't say it. That's right. We're not going to be on, we're not going to be on screen. So <laughs> I've, I've got my hands folded, like, like not exactly, well, maybe like prayer and um, I'm a Reiki master. So sometimes I'll just kind of beam energy to them. And with some of my clients at the end of the session, I'll say, would you like a hug? And we'll, and I'll put my arms around myself and they'll put their arms around themselves and we hug, it, you know, in, in that regard. And so that's, that's how I do it now when, you know, since I'm not physically there in the room with clients. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's pretty striking. It seems very simple, but it's unusual in the fact that I, I, I you did mention in your talk that we're going to mention in a bit that mm-hmm. that's not typically accepted in therapy Mm-hmm. ideology, I guess, or tradition. Yeah, I mean, it depends on where you work. Okay. It's more so now that it's accepted. When I worked in a psychiatric hospital, we were told, don't hug your clients, don't hug the patients, because some of them are trauma survivors. Some of them mm-hmm. are, you know, we're dealing with sexual abuse or physical abuse. Some of them were in, you know, in the throes of detoxing from drugs and alcohol. So at the end of their stay, if they wanted a hug, I hugged them. No. So I was kind of a rule breaker. <laughs> Not in a way, but, a, you know, in a very nurturing, supportive way for my, my patients there. All right. Well, wonderful. So you just had a, an amazing experience. And you had a TED Talk, a TEDx Talk mm-hmm. on this topic. And I want to hear all about that, really. Like, oh. where was it? How were you chosen? How did you develop and distill what you wanted to say in that kind of format? Well, it was in Lima, Ohio, like Lima Bean. People always say, is it Lima or it's Lima? And it was called TEDx Faro Park, F-A-U-R-O-T, Ohio. And the other other claim to fame to that town is that the, uh, the fictional, I forget what the name of the high school was, Glee, you know, the, oh. the Glee was, I don't think it was filmed in Lima, but that's where the high, the high school in Glee was. was. And Funny. the way that it happened, roll back the clock to 2009. And I saw my very first TED Talk was with Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And it was all about creativity. And she was talking about how the creative muse, the genius, speaks to us. And when I saw her there, I I just finished reading the book and I thought, 
I want what she's having. I want to be up there on that stage. Now, I've been a professional speaker 35 years or more, but I, you know, that was a goal. And I am tenacious. If I have a goal, I find a way to make it happen. So I did what I normally do with seed planting. I said, okay, how do you know how do other people do this? So I watched other TED Talks and I picked people's brains. I have several friends who have done them. And I said, How did this happen? So one of them introduced me to this wonderful coach. His name is Caesar Cervantes. And um, Caesar is a stage comedian, comic. Um, he's a public speaker and he's a, a TED coach. So he helps people go from idea to, to the stage. So a friend of mine had hired him to help her with her talk. So I said, all right, I'm going to have a session with this guy, just like a, a, you know, trying to figure out what I want to do. By the end of the talk, I said, I'm committed. I'm in. I've wanted to do this for a really long time. And I have this idea of, of what I want to do. A couple things to know about TED Talks. TED, I call it Big TED, the, you know, the major company, corporate TED, usually agrees to have people like Elizabeth Gilbert do a TED talk. TEDx is like a subsidiary. The organizers, I don't know if you call it a franchise, have their own stages. So Amy was the, the producer of the TEDx talk in Faroe Park. So the way that it works is that you come up with your idea and the TED tagline is ideas worth sharing, I think is what it's called, ideas worth spreading. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, what's my idea? And if, at first I wanted it to be about hug mobsters, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But then I thought, no, let's take it even bigger. So when I talked to Caesar, I said, in my field, there's a trope that says therapists shouldn't touch their clients. And he says, why the heck not? What, you know, tell me why. And I shared with him, you know, transference, the importance of boundaries, um, sexualizing of touch, and all, all this is in the, the TEDx talk. What else did I say? Attachment to the therapist, people that have experienced trauma. And he says, well, what if we turned it on its head and talked about reasons why nurturing touch with consent can be therapeutic. And in in the TEDx talks, they call them the through line. So the through line is the theme that runs through the whole whole talk. So that's what it was, is that we want to overcome that taboo of touch and make it a positive experience for, you know, for the person who's receiving it. So I said, you know, I told him about this paper that I did in grad school. I went to Rutgers Camden, um, not too far from you, and in South Jersey. And I was working on my MSW, Master of Social Work. And the paper was called Counseling Practitioners' Views on Using Touch as a Therapeutic Modality. So it was the very first time I ever used a computer. And I did statistical analysis with it. I have no clue how, you know, how to use it. So I spent a lot of time in the library and I did a lot of research. And I thought, okay, why don't I incorporate that? Because one of the other things that, that, TED, that TED, where TEDx wants is verifiable information. You can't just, it's not a story that you're telling. You can share a story through it, but it's got to have some substance to it. And so I added to it Hug Mobsters. And, and Hug Mobsters Armed with Love that you mentioned earlier is a group that I formed in 2014. On the day after Valentine's Day, February 15th of 2014, I brought a group of friends to 30th Street Station. And for those who are not in our area, it's a big train station in Philly. And I said, let's do a free hugs flash mob. So at noon, we unleashed ourselves on the station. And you've been you've been to 30th Street, I of imagine. Course, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know how this big 
big, big train station. And there's Amtrak, there's SEPTA, like there's all, there are all kinds of trains and people coming and going. So there were 12 of us. And within an hour, we estimated we had about two or 200 or so people. And one of our friends played the guitar and he did the song, give a little bit, give a little bit of your love to me over and over and over and over again for an hour. <laughs> another friend of ours, Rod, videotaped the whole thing. And the people that, a lot of people approached us for hugs. And one of them was this gentleman who was an Iraq war vet. And he was the only survivor of his platoon. And he had survivor's guilt. And he said, I thought about killing myself until I met you people. Can I join you? So course you know we gave him his own sign and he was off to the races you know hugging his, his great big heart out and i have no clue what happened to this man after that day i hope that he gained a sense of purpose because of that and my thought was holy shit hugs save lives so friends started calling us hug mobsters and i added the tagline armed with love because of the you know the the connection with mobsters of guns, drugs, violence. I don't think so. And Mm -hmm. and I don't, and I can't, I don't remember who it was called me the mother hugger. So (laughs) that's my, you know, my title. And shortly after that, five months after that, on the way home from the gym, I had a heart attack. Now I was 55 at the time. I had no, you know, thought that that was going to happen. And Part of it was my workaholism. Part of it was family predisposition. Part of it was ignoring the signs and symptoms. And after I recovered, I started doing cardiac rehab. And I thought, why don't I combine hugging with walking? Because hugs are heart friendly, cardiac heart and emotional heart friendly. So I made up a little sign. And and one of the friends who was one of the original hug mobsters, name was Greg Campisi, made this logo that kind of looks like this. If you can see it, Robin, it's a little I can heart. See it. Yeah. It's a heart with sort of hands thing. Yeah. Um, so he made up t-shirts for us and all that. <laughs> and I still carry, I carry this little pillow heart. A friend, my friend Donna got it for me from Ikea. I don't know if they still have them, but they're, they're very cuddly. And I said, okay, I'm going to plan events like for holidays or what I call my cardioversary. It's been eight years in June. This past year was eight years. And then I went to sport events, sporting events, a lot of pride fests. I do the free mom hugs thing. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For your audience who may not know, free mom hugs was created by Sarah Cunningham, who was a mom in Oklahoma city. And her son came out to her as a gay man. And as a devout Christian, she had a really hard time with that. And she said she, she realized she did not have to decide between God and her son. And he invited her to a pride fest. She went wearing a button that said free mom hugs. And so the organization is all over the country. So I've got my, my free mom hugs t-shirt that I, I wear to pride events as well. So I did talk about that in the TEDx talk, talked about the heart attack, talked about the, the gentleman who was the Iraq war vet, talked about another veteran that I met at a homeless shelter in Kensington. And for those that are not from the area, Kensington is a kind of a rough and tumble neighborhood. And this man said, as I was hugging him, I haven't been touched in 20 years. Can you even imagine what that would be like? So yeah. that was a remarkable experience. And 
so the, the talks, what had happened is I put together this talk, I pitched it to about 20 different stages. They're all over the world. So any any time anybody's interested in, in pitching a, a TED, TEDx talk, they look to see where in the world it is. Now, my agreement with myself was it would have to be within driving distance because I didn't want to fly during the pandemic. So this one was nine hours. So it was, it was manageable. And my best friend, Barb, said, okay, road trip. You know, I'm coming with you. <laughs> you don't have a choice. I'm coming with you. So it was an amazing experience. Now, the challenge for me was memorizing the talk. Because when you do a TED, TEDx talk, there are no notes. There is no teleprompter. It's You got to keep it in your head. But you can't make it sound like you're delivering a speech. It's got to feel natural. Mm-hmm. And at 64, I thought, oh, my God, how am I going to remember this? And what if I trip over my words? And what if I get laryngitis? And what if I pass out? You know? right. So I said, all right, enough. The cool thing about the coaching is that prior to getting accepted to the stage in, in Ohio, Caesar would meet with each, you know, would meet with his his clients individually. So I'd have a, I think it was a weekly session with him. Then we had a group practice session every week. And once I got accepted to the, the TEDx stage in Ohio, we met with coaches there. And the cool thing is we had Amy, who was the, you know, the, the head, the head coach, the organizer. And then we had other coaches that were our present like speech writing coaches, which I didn't really need a whole lot of because I had that with Caesar. We had a, a stage presentation coach and we had a lifestyle coach because they understood that this is stressful. This is a big effing deal to be doing, <laughs> to be doing this. Right. So it was helpful to have all that. Now the, the technique that I use that really helped is that I did it in my practice in my sleep. That <laughs> okay. I, the night, if I would wake up, I'd say, okay, let's run it through. And then I started dreaming about it. And I wow. practiced in the shower. I practiced in the car. I practiced with friends and family. I practiced in the mirror. Most TED stages have a big red circle in the middle. So I bought uh, a red fuzzy rug. And it's still in my dining room. It's, you know, it's <laughs> nice. And I would stand on it and I'd walk across it numerous times a day and I'd stand there. Now, the the sad part, the disappointing part is we didn't have a red circle in the Faroe Park stage, but it was it was OK. I, I imagined one there. Right, um, right. And the other people that who would also make wonderful guests for you, too, there's several and I'll, I'll send you information about them. The other people were absolutely remarkable. They came from all over the country, had their own amazing stories to share. And I feel like they're family of choice. And I'm, I'm still in touch with some of them now and, and with the coaches. So Wonderful. that was my, that was it. <laughs> yeah, that was so, a big, big experience. That is w- wonderful. So that's a big, you know, bucket list thing. What, what else is on your horizon that you want to do with your work um, or your writing or... Well, I want to do another one. I haven't. I pitched a, a talk, and not, you know, another one called "The Other End of the Stethoscope: Listening to the Heart in Our Care," and that is about. I mean, because I'm a, a medical social worker, and I'm also a patient, cardiac patient, and I have COPD. It's about working with healthcare professionals, teaching them how to be as present as they can with their patients and clients with the idea that someday every medical professional will be a patient. Mm -hmm. And I co-wrote the, the initial workshop plan. Um, I don't know if you ever met my friend, Andrea, she was a dear friend 
who died of cancer four years ago, and she was a home care nurse. And she was part of it, you know, the sandbox group in, in the DC area. We have, Robin and I have, have overlapping soul circles of friends. So <laughs> I met her through that group and she was a home care nurse and a cancer patient. So we put together this workshop that we never got to teach together. Mm. So I want to create a TEDx talk around that idea. So that's, and I pitched it to a couple of stages so far, again, within trial, within driving distance. I want to do some more writing. I, you know, writing is my passion. So, you know, I thought about writing another book about hug mobsters, but it takes a lot of time, you know, and I need to find that, that time. I'm also a grandmother. That's the big, you know, the uh, central focus of my life. I have a almost three-year-old grandson, Dean. He'll be three on the 21st. And then I have Lucy. <laughs> So they're my, my favorite cuddlers. They're my favorite. I tell them they're my favorite people on the planet. <laughs> so they're my, my inspiration for a lot of the work that I do in the world. You know, I want to make this world a, a, a better place for them. You know, the, to, you know, when I go, uh, you know, I want them to have a safe, healthy world to live in. So I'm an outspoken social justice advocate. Absolutely. So I guess my last question for you is for ordinary people how do we get over that taboo of touch you know giving and receiving touch i mean in some ways like some some of the ways it just could be seem could seem obvious but you know i'm just thinking about how especially how a lot of people have become isolated during the pandemic and Mm -hmm. may not just have like the usual friends or partners in their in their lives Mm -hmm. so how do you Mm -hmm. sort of develop that even maybe you don't even you're not the type of person that would go to a cuddle party even i don't know right well first of all touch needs to be by consent and that's something that i talked about in the tedx talk and something that i you know i've talked about i'm also a cuddle part you know that i'm a cuddle party facilitator Mm -hmm. and for those that don't know cuddle party is i call it a communication and boundary setting and safe nurturing touch workshop for adults. You go to a dress in PJs or sweats or yoga clothes, and you learn about boundaries, saying yes to what you want, no to what you don't want, being open to changing your mind, not just about touch, but everything in you know every aspect of your life. And prior to the pandemic, I probably facilitated uh, somewhere between three and 400 cuddle parties, because I've been a, a certified facilitator since 2006, I think something like that. And, you know, we teach people, your body is your own. Nobody touches you without permission. Once they start touching, if you don't want them to touch anymore, you say, thank you, I'm done. So if people want to get back out into the world after, you know, since the pandemic, that's, those are still valid rules. I was terrified when the pandemic hit that we would never be able to hug again. I thought, how is that possible? You know, how could we be created as beings that need nurturing touch only to be deprived of it? So I had a dream like right in the beginning where we could hug back to back or back to front like spooning. And in every dream that I had in the beginning of the pandemic, everybody was wearing a mask. So my brain was already, (laughs) it was already even when I was sleeping in that realm. So when I first started hugging people again, I did do the back to back or back, you know, back to front hugs. If you're alone, if you're isolated, hug yourself, like wrap your arms around yourself, self massage, whether it's your hands or any, you know, any part of you that needs that pillows, teddy bears, 
you know, other kinds of stuffed animals, blankets, comfy, you know, cozy, comfy clothes, hug trees. The first hug that I experienced with another mammal during the pandemic wasn't even a human, not not even, but wasn't a human. It was my cousin's dog. Mm-hmm. Um, my cousin Jody and I were, were, I was visiting her. She was sitting like 20 feet away, like more than the requisite six feet away. And Maddie, who's a chocolate lab, kept running back and forth between us. And she was muddy and grimy and I'm like, oh, come here, come here, come here, you know. So, and she's not a lap dog. She thinks she is. So <laughs> after that, I was able to see my, you know, my, my grandson, who I had not seen for 11 weeks during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I encourage people experiencing, experience it where you can. And I don't tell anybody, I mean, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical professional to tell anybody what risks to take in terms of exposure to COVID. So you do it at your own comfort level. You know, there are cuddle, I haven't done a cuddle party since February of 2020, but there are cuddle parties still happening around the country and you do it at your own, you know, your own comfort level, your own sense of safety level. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people have been doing that and figuring out how to, how to talk about safety. It's another mm-hmm. sort of topic that we need yeah, to negotiate, yeah. you know. Right. It's the same, the same kind of, you know, safer sex talk that you would have with an intimate partner, except now it's platonic, <laughs> you know, platonic touch safety. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you for all you share in the world and um, for really letting people know that this is an important thing. And it's, mm-hmm. it's easy to forget because we think about our needs as, you know, food and shelter. And there's, mm-hmm. there's more than that. So. Yeah. Oh, Thank absolutely. You so much. Yeah. My, my pleasure. Oh, the other thing I was going to mention about touch is brushing your, you know, depending on how long your hair is brushing your hair or massaging your scalp. Um, my hair has grown considerably since the pandemic. It was probably a little bit shorter than yours is now, you know, and now it's almost down to my waist. Mm-hmm. So I've been brushing my hair a lot. What else? Self-massage, showers, take showers if you can, mm-hmm. or, or, or you know, a bubble bath or warm bath. Something that's sensual and nurturing for yourself is going to help, likely help you get through whatever might feel like touch deprivation. That is all good advice. Thank you. I wouldn't have thought of some of those, so I appreciate yeah, absolutely. it. All right. <laughs> You got questions? We got answers. (laughs) And this time we have a question from Samantha Poole. And it's an interesting one. (laughs) She says, what are your thoughts on the rumor that Nikola Tesla was romantically attracted to squirrels? Uh, I had never heard that rumor. (laughs) I had never heard that rumor either. And my thoughts on it are, it's not, it, no. Yeah, can't my right. thought was like that. That yeah, I, didn't, I did not think that was accurate. <laughs> However, <laughs> we, we did some research, and and I did. It's he does seem to have had a romantic attraction or some sort of attraction. To, oh, it was like, romantic. It, 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 go ahead, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you tell me. You you oh, tell me. Well, yes, he fell in love with. He fell madly in love with a pigeon. Right, I found that news item too and it was very uh, or historic item too it was like uh, well, I, okay i have a quote i have a quote from a blog where he, where he is quoted and he says quote 
I have been feeding pigeons, thousands of them for years, but there was one, a beautiful bird, pure white with light gray tips on its wings, and that one was different. It was female. I had only to wish and call her, and she would come flying to me. I loved that pigeon as a man loves a woman, and she loved me. As long as I had her, there was a purpose to my life. And that's a quote attributed to Tesla on Historian and Historian Andrews Medium blog. He has a whole hmm. piece about the famous celibate physicist inventor who fell madly in love with a pigeon is the title of it. I guess we can put a link to this one in too, because it's yeah. an interesting it's an interesting little bio. So it, it is, yeah. I saw that part of that quote. I hadn't seen all of that. So that's hey man. Thanks for Whatever the question. Works. Thank you, Samantha. Ah, yay, yay. And and it's kind of funny because Rawway used to be the location of one of Tesla's factories, and we have a bust of him at the train station that was was installed and dedicated like 2018, 2019, before the pandemic. And so he's a he's a big deal in town. I don't know if the if the mayor and the city council are aware of his pigeon affections, and I don't know if that would affect anything <laughs> with the city's decision yeah. to honor him like that. <laughs> Is this the first time that your random fact coincided with the question of the day? Possibly. I didn't even think about that. That's- Yes, cool. so I would have to say yes. I would have to say yes because that Full did circle. not happen on purpose. <laughs> and it probably won't ever happen again. So take a, take, take a note of this, guys. And, and, you know. In our next show, Robin interviews Suzanne Nicholson, for the first black female owner of a medical cannabis dispensary in New Jersey. And then we have an Artscape segment where I talk about my latest projects. Great. I'm looking forward to those, yeah. those things on our next show. And I am me. I'm Robin Renee. <laughs> and thanks for listening. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan, on Instagram at Robin Renee Music, and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. And I'm on Discord as Andrew Genus. Uh, let me know if you want to hang out there and talk about Yacht Rock. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Twitter at Wendy Designs, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z. And do remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. Please send us your questions. And if it is a you got questions, we got answers question, you might hear us talk about it at the end of our show. So until next time, be well, hug somebody, and keep left. You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening. <laughs>